0: We lost a great race car driver on January 30th, 2020, a beloved fundraiser for Riley's Children's Hospital and fierce advocate for colon cancer screening. John Andretti's accomplishments behind the steering wheel were only exceeded by his humanitarian efforts. With an unparalleled life and career to celebrate, I've assembled a podcast feature that makes 16 stops along the way, all told by those who knew him and loved him. His legendary uncle, Mario Andretti, said it best.
1: Try to, to put together how many drivers have driven midgets on dirt, asphalt, sprint cars on dirt, asphalt, sports prototypes, indie cars, stock cars, and top fuel. You tell me who has done all that. No one, no one that I could ever remember, I mean, that I could ever put together. I mean, there's no way there's another one that has done all that. He's alone, he's
0: alone there. In the seventh installment of Remembering John Andretti, we have Jim Busby, John's team owner for the 1989 IMSA-GTP season. The Heights, winning the 24 Hours of Daytona, stand as one of John's greatest accomplishments behind the steering wheel. It was not the easiest of years though, as Jim tells us, but also offers great reverie for a driver who he reckoned fared incredibly well against one of sports car racing's all-time greats. All brought to you in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast by the Justice Brothers, Cooper Tires, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. Jim Busby, let's talk about a pint-sized dynamo by the name of John Andretti, who... I would say among all of his victories, um, his his trip to victory lane with you and your beautiful, truly one of the most beautiful liveried vehicles I've ever seen. That gorgeous 962 in the Miller mm-hmm. colors Indeed, at the yes. uh, Sunbank 24 at Daytona yes. in 1989 yes. uh, and his co-drivers as well. Obviously, it's sad that we're talking about John in the past tense, but I know you had a great affinity for him as his team owner. Maybe, I don't know. Do you think we should start with how he came into your general uh, sphere? Because uh, knowing that he'd had a year or two in IndyCar, I wasn't necessarily looking for him to go do IMSA full-time in 1989.
1: Well, this is the perfect place to start, Marshall, because I, as you know, uh, took over the Porsche deal when poor Al Holbert died. So I got a call from the people at Miller High Life and naturally I had support from Porsche and I'd already had great support from EF Goodrich and, and so on and so forth. And we were in our um, eighth year of trying to win Daytona and and uh, we just would run at the front until the last two laps and somebody would run into the guardrail or something. And, and then when I retired from driving, that cut down. One of the drivers, so we were now picking more than one. We we would always pick Moss or or Wallach or one of these guys. So anyway, the long and the short of it is, is I get a call from Miller and they want to go forward to complete Al's contract, which is one year. So Al's dad calls me and sends me all the stuff and and uh, no cars or anything like that, but the trailer and the the, the, the all the livery. And um, so I call Miller, and I take a look at it, and they have a diagonal funny line on the front of the thing. And I say, you know, I don't like that one, and we need to change. Our car is going to look very different than 962 because we don't use the same aero package. And we used the 956 nose and pushed the car forward to get high-speed understeer out of it and moved the wing forward so the center of pressure was moved. And nobody knew that a few knew it uh, as of a year ago uh, um, when it was pointed out at uh, Amelia Island. Yeah. But anyway, so the car got rid of high-speed understeer, and and pretty soon we're in the driver's seat. Well, anyway, so they said, well, well who are we going to use for drivers? And I said, well, Wallach's here. And and uh, Derek Bell's available because, you know, his deal with Al obviously isn't going forward. And, uh, and Porsche likes him and um and they said, uh, well pick somebody that you think might be interesting. I sat and I thought about it for a while and I knew that John was no longer involved or wasn't currently involved in the IndyCar program and I had raced against John when he was in the BMW program, I think with Davy Jones
0: Would yeah right yeah 8586 yep
1: yeah so and and we were pretty quick at the time uh, we had a one year in there with our learning process with these tires we're pretty darn quick and we won at Riverside and we were a lot of podiums and so on and so forth so I'd watch John because we were kind of running together frankly we we raced together a lot and at Elkhart Lake uh, I think we'd qualified right next to each other and I think that I was running with them when Davey got loose in the kink and destroyed the car but um, anyway I got talking to John and we kind of kicked off Chatter and and I called back Miller and I said, "Hey, let's let's get somebody young." And I I had already talked to B.F. Goodrich about it. And I said, "Let's get somebody young. Let, let's let's give John Andretti a call." And before I called him, he called me. And I don't know if it was coincidence. I don't remember if it was just coincidence or whether he'd kind of threw the grapevine with my suggestions to various people that it had gotten back to him. Mm. Uh, and he called me. And I said, well, what do you think? And he, he said, well, I've never driven a 962. And I, I said, well, you know, it's a sports car, and you, you know the, the the drill. It's got more reliability than the BMW we were driving, and it was probably as quick uh, in the twisty bits as, as anything. So, And we've got a, a new chassis that we've done. We got rid of the Porsche chassis, built the Honeycomb car, and split the 956 nose, made it to the 962 nose, pushed the center of pressure forward, wing had to come forward and so on and so forth, but we doubled the size of the tunnels at the same time. And I said, so I think we've got an aero package that's pretty darn good, and we can take all the wing out of the car at Daytona and and run the thing really hard and rely on the downforce from the tunnels and and reduce the drag. And we've got a new engine that we're doing. We had, at that point, we had an air-cooled engine that would produce around 800. 50 to race and it was just at a thousand uh, on the dyno <laughs> so so we um we i he said okay well i'm coming out that way anyway i'll come by he came by we went down to the village and restaurant here on Balbo island where i live and we talked and talked and talked and he said well I, you know it sounds pretty good to me and we talked a little money and i I said, well, let me talk to BF Goodrich about that. They're, they're, they're in that. And um, they loved the idea when I finally said, look, I think we're really close with John Andretti. And, um, and I think he's good. I, I've raced with this guy. He, he hauls butt. I mean, he's really good. So um, we uh, signed him right there. They said, Athene Karras at BF Goodrich, who kind of had a lot to say about who drove because she ran all the PR stuff. And uh, she said, let's go. And I said, yeah, I like this. We, we'll go. So we got we, our first, we didn't even test with John. We got to Daytona, and he was there. And as it turned out, Chapman Root had purchased Al's car, and, and we ran both cars, ours in our livery, which was significantly different, although the same colors, basically, um, because our body shape was so much different. And, um, and anyway, we long and short of it is Michael and Mario were in the one car and uh and john and and uh derek and Walt wallach were in the other car and in practice i i didn't bother with andretti because i, I think um, i forget who ran that car for chapman but it was one of al's guys and uh, and mario was pretty hard on on uh, the car and qualifying and something happened in the transmission and Anyway, they said they had some problems, but they fixed it, and off we go in the race. And they out-qualified our car because we were tuning for the whole race, and they were trying to sit on pole. And I think they did. Or if they didn't, they were awful close. And uh, But we stuck to our plan, and John had struggled a little bit uh, in the first practice. And so I, we put more time in Bob and Derek because we felt, okay, well, if he's going to struggle a little bit, then we're going to go ahead and run these guys longer. So we want them to have a better feel and everything else, and we'll run it off what they feel. So the race starts, and and we immediately move up and get in the run-on-podium position the whole time, running our pace and everything else. And the first time John gets in the car, he's running the exact same laps as Wallach and Bell had run. Um, And then as we move into the night, we're still running at the front. And John at night, uh, is in most laps, is quicker than our average and bringing it home in perfect shape and giving us good feedback. And pretty soon we realized we got the fastest car and the three best driver, drivers in the field. And so we, keep, we pull our pace back to stay in front of the Jaguar, which we do for the entire race. And at the last uh, minute, it, John would have rotated into the car. And, I, and Wallach was in the car folding off the jag and and running reasonably quick laps i looked at john he looked at me i looked at kaluchi kaluchi looked back at me and then i looked at gary pace at bf goodrich and and, um we made the call with john's uh, agreement that wallach needed to stay in the car two reasons shorter stop Um, and we knew that Bob was that guy that at the end of a race like that could run qualifying laps. And we knew that our car hadn't been used up and we could turn it up. So John is a really sportsman like guy says, let's do it. And he watched the end of the race with Wallach in the car. And we, uh, took off and, and kept the Jaguars back as far as we needed to, and just kept adding pace and, uh, beat them. And we were tickled with John. He was tickled to be there. Uh, he, he was absolutely better than we expected. And the entire rest of the season, we probably could have, we, you know, he did win the Porsche Cup in our car.
0: Yeah. That and that, for those but who don't know, if you huge. are a porsche file, that's the it's Presidential huge. Medal of Freedom. That is, yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that's being knighted almost. Yes.
1: It also, and it also is is important because the field is all Porsches, essentially. So when you win the Porsche Cup, it means that of all the cars that were consistently winning, um,
0: Throughout you world. were the world, Yeah. You were the best. It's global, too.
1: Right. So that was important. And John, you know, held his own there and exceeded everybody else that were in Porsches. And had we not tried to use the water-cooled 950 or 962 uh, C um, in mid-season, which turned out because we had a horsepower advantage with the air-cooled motor, believe it or not, um, we probably would have won more races, and John would have shown better in the overall championship, the IMSA championship. But we did give it a try and uh, back-to-back testing and everything. We just couldn't ever get it as fast as the air-cooled car. So what we did is when we had to run two cars, we'd put um, Derek in one car, Bob in the other basically the rabbits. And John and, and Bob would run together in all the races. And and he was right there in the hunt. And BF And BF Goodrich was getting the tires better and better and better, and John was a good tester. The Goodyear guys came along with a reason—a new front tire construction—and we we don't know that for certain, but I kind of got that through the grapevine. And uh, and they got a couple of tents on us, and they ended up beating us uh, for the championship. But but it had nothing to do with John. John was there every minute and. And you know how fussy Bob Wallach could be, and he was an extremely difficult guy, particularly under pressure, but it was because he, he wanted to win so badly. And we had one race where, I think it was Miami, where John had not been quite as quick yes. as,
0: as Bob. An infamous incident.
1: And then the incident takes place where he comes into pit and change drivers and John's standing there in his helmet and Bob will not, refuses to get out of the car.
0: John jumps down off the wall. I think had his seat insert, whatever it was, in yes. hand. Yes. Opens yes. the door or attempts to yes. open the door, and and
1: Bob Bob pulls it shut. And I'm on the radio, and Kalucci's going nuts, but he's running the crew. I'm on the radio and said, Bob, Bob, it's a driver change, and he won't even look out. He just stares straight ahead in the windshield, and we start watching the t- seconds seconds tick by, and we send him, and we didn't win. But that, that's not because Bob didn't win. Our car wasn't winning that day. But John was very upset. Um, we we as a team were embarrassed because we looked like idiots. And I think that John took it pretty personally and thought that maybe that we had decided to do that and we had not. This is something that Bob uh, uh, did on his own. and And as you know, Bob, could do those sorts of things, and one of the reasons that Bob did those things is because he had so much confidence in himself that he really truly believed he would make the difference, and that day we weren't going to win, and so we were pretty disappointed. It took me a while to calm John down, but for the balance of the season, other than our slight deficit on tires um, at the end of the season, um, John was absolute perfection. He yeah. never crashed the car. he never got into it with anybody. He was a
0: plus. And for you, Jim, as longtime driver, winning driver, champion driver, etc, and also longtime team owner, this incident with John, who, if you know, we can make some assumptions that is, call him the other end ready right? Not Mario's right. I mean, just pe- let's be honest here. they am not yeah. saying he was so touchy about this, but just the, he didn't have that burnished and gold reputation. Uh, you know, he's Aldo's son, uh, not Mario's son. This had to have tickled some things that uh, really weren't very pleasant. Knowing that here he is, this didn't happen in isolation. This happened, you know, on ESPN or TN, whatever, whatever it was. The cameras right. were right there capturing this entire sure. incident. You don't yep. get a much bigger professional uh, uh, demonstration of disrespect than this. So how do you, as a driver, team owner, how do you work with John to keep you know get him back into the right headspace? Because that could ruin your season.
1: I'm not sure that I ever did. Mm. But my attempt was to sit down with him Bob storms off at the end of the race, like Bob does. Uh, fortunately, didn't knock himself out like he tried to with James Weaver, but the he storms off after embarrassing himself and not gaining us anything, frankly. Now, don't get me wrong here. I was around racing as a driver for a very long time. Bob Wallach was my friend. I will tell you right now, that of all of the drivers that I raced against and with or or had on my team, and we had them all, Bob Wallach is the greatest sports car racing driver I ever had or knew or raced against. No period.
0: doubt. No doubt. Also, so, one of the biggest yeah. a-holes when he wanted to be, if we're talking reputationally.
1: After, after Bob knocked himself out with james weaver's helmet after james put a good move on him at sears point we're leading the whole goddamn race and weaver put a move on him at turn 11 beat him to the start finish line it was a a, a good race between the two and weaver beat him so wallach pulls into our pit at sears point which is four pits behind rob dyson's and gets out of the car and takes off running but he's taking his helmet off and throwing his shit in, over the pit wall as he goes. <laughs> and you got to love the guy's passion. I'm sorry. Part, everything that you saw about Bob that was crazy was the reason he was the best. Because it meant everything to him. And he, he takes off down there. and <laughs> He reaches in the car. Weaver's got his helmet on. And they're congratulating. He butts in. So the guy's congratulating Weaver. Weaver's got his belts off and Wallet grabs him by the collar or the epaulettes maybe and pulls him up out of the car and hits himself in the head with Weaver's helmet. The head, the, his forehead splits open and the blood is going everywhere. I'm, I'm running down there to try to stop him and Colucci's yelling and screaming and Bob all of a sudden stops, takes off on a dead run and runs up the hill into our trailer and puts a towel on his forehead which is squirting blood. And I come into the trailer and I look at him and I say, Bob, why are you such a fucking asshole?
0: So that helps to understand why in the car at Miami with a teammate who wasn't quite as fast as he thought he should be on that weekend, Bob decided that, uh, the, this two driver team was, uh, for this event alone became a, a yes. one man operation during the race to John's, uh, unfortunate, Deficit there, but this is something that I know you've told me before. John had to rally within himself because there was questions. Well, if brilliant Bob, right, the person regarded as the legend among legends of sports car drivers, if he uh, effectively drops John off at the orphanage and says, "Nope, (laughs) not you, kid." Uh, he right. he has to show the world that, you know what? All right. Uh, well, let's put that in the past. I do belong, and I can only do that not with words, but my performances. And that's where I really appreciate, Jim, how the rest of the season played out, knowing that Nissan was obviously on its all-conquering tear with its, uh, you know, its electromotive GTP cars and such. But right. uh, this team of yours had a, a pretty fine day at Palm Beach as well. Yes. Um, yep. Tell us about ha- rebounding uh, from Miami because uh, that well, was a big I narrative mean, too.
1: Well, the two, there was two facets to the rebound. Uh, we f- fooled around with our car and made it better and better. Um, Alvin uh, messed around with the engine and we tuned on the engine a bit. And we got our, our package better. We still, I think it's hard to really say. But by the end of the season, it's hard to say. But I think that new Goodyear tire just had a tick on us. And, but I, 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 ours were pretty damn good, and they lasted. And and uh, so it's hard to say if that was the difference. But I think it could be more contributed to the fact that we spent some time mid-season messing with the. Water-cooled, two cam, four cam, uh, nine f- f- sixty-two. I keep saying fifty-six because that was the engine that was mm. in it. But we just kind of got a little off track with that, I think. So I don't think that that, that Nissan so much was. I think we we lost the championship by a, a smidgen they didn't win it. Fair and, and I think that that John's performance had nothing to do with anything that happened to us after Miami, nothing. He did not exceed Bob and, and make a standout and make up the difference for us, but his performance was equal to, in almost every case, to Bob uh, based on the car they were in. And their car, from mid-season on, was a tick off. Not much, but just a tick. Now, had John been superior to Bob, uh, maybe we would have done better. Who's, who was ever superior to Bob? Nobody. I'm sorry, nobody. Period. Who's the only guy I ever knew that could take a car that was nearly a second off, maybe, maybe six tenths and put it on the pole. He's the only guy I've ever known that can do that.
0: So with that pretty massive mountain to climb, share some thoughts, if you would, Jim, as we look at the other races that season where you had the, uh, the pleasure of John Andretti and Bob Wallach. I mean, obviously, you know, you go to some of the classic tracks, Road Atlanta, uh, right. Lime Rock, Mid-Ohio, Watkins... Um, you know, heck, there's a lot of races that year. Back when uh, back when IMSA was ro- roaring, Portland, uh, San yeah. Antonio, Tampa, uh, Del Mar. Races. I mean, pretty crazy. What uh, what comes to mind going racing with John Andretti uh, for a season? And I ask that because so many other folks talk about the amazing year of his presence, whether it's just as a person and his warmth or character, but also his fighting spirit. <laughs> There's a lot of folks who love the year or years they had with him.
1: Well, my year with John Andretti, I've got not one single thing to say except that he's excellent and was absolutely capable of operating our car at its winning capability. So whatever it was capable of doing, John could do. Uh, Bob could be beyond that. But who else could be? So there's no comparison there. He, He John performed at a level nobody else did against Bob um, while Bob was on our team. Uh, and we had good, great drivers. I mean the best. So John ranked right up there, and I can I could never look back at any point during that season and say, "Well, maybe John was the reason because he wasn't. He just wasn't. Um, and I I, I I don't regret one second. For having hired him and and kept him with us as a matter of fact john and i became very close and we had a lot of funny stories and 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 i one was he said hey buzz you know you've been drag racing quite a bit before you started doing this and i said well i just got here by mistake uh, i was drag racing with dick smothers the comedian and running the top fuel car and um and uh, he told me i should go sports car racing and he had a little formula b car which i drove and and won some club races and and um that was that one thing led to another and he said well top fuel racing what's that all about and i said well it's it's kind of fascinating actually you know it's not quite as um, arcane as you might think it you know the it, it you got an inner liner on the tire. You, the squat of the tire reduces the gear ratio when you leave. And if it bounces off the inner liner, it throws it up in the air and you smoke the tires. And so it's, it's this tuning balance of engine position and, and, and tires. And he, he was fascinated by that. And, um, and lo and behold, <laughs> he got a ride in a top fuel car the following season. A good top fuel car and won some races. In top fuel. And I couldn't help but think when I first saw it that, by God, he took it to heart. And I I, I don't know whether he didn't have a gig or what the deal was, but he simply started driving. I forget it was an athlete owned this car. I forget what his name was. Yeah. uh, He's a baseball
0: player. Baseball player, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was a good car. And John drove the socks off that thing. I'm telling you what. You can win Le Mans, You can win Indy. You can do it all. But don't ever make the mistake that there's too much difference between Don Prudhomme and A.J. Foyt. They both have exactly the same mentality. They'll both get out of the car and beat on it with a hammer and make it faster. So, so if, you're, if you're at the top end of drag racing, you're right at the
0: top end of motorsports. Jack Clark. That's who it was. Jack Clark. Jack Clark, former first baseman. I don't know why I forgot that from my San Francisco Giants. Yeah, so
1: yeah, yeah. So I, t- I so I t- ended up talking to John once or twice during the season, and he was having the time of his life. He still wanted to go back and go Indy car racing, uh, which which I'm sure that he did a few times. I know he did get some rides at the 500, and and then he moved on to NASCAR. And I, and, in all fairness to John in NASCAR, he wasn't with a top team. It just he just wasn't,
0: and and good teams, and look, just not great teams.
1: Exactly, or, or, or the t-
0: or let me rephrase that's not necessarily the quality of the team, but maybe the timing of being with that team. That's that exactly That team wasn't right. in a in a uh, a prime position at that point yeah. in their, uh, yeah. their competition.
1: A- absolutely, yeah. But but you know, John Andretti's passion was to win races, which he did. John Andretti's passion was to be just like his cousin and his uncle. And make a living driving racing cars. And John Andretti did that and good for him.
0: Let's close, Jim, on looking back at this driver who you had, who you picked, who you threw out, you know, and, and frankly, your selection of John on his career timeline, that made a big difference because having been out of IndyCar, I know that uh, Vince Granatelli called there, you know, partway into your season and 89 when he was driving for you and he was, you know, trying to, or he did, uh, moonlight as best as he could doing both IndyCar and IMSA. But Mm-mm. you came along at a crucial point in time in his career, uh, showed value, demonstrated value in him, uh, obviously wins the biggest race in North American sports car racing right out of the gate. Uh, and then, you know, goes on from this year with you, rebuilding some of the momentum that he had lost and having more opportunities come along. That to me seems, uh, I I'm sure you'd love to say, I knew that was going to happen from the moment I chose him, but uh, (laughs) nonetheless, you know, we do need to look back and say, wow, from that uh, in 1990, he gets hired by Porsche to be its factory Indy car driver and goes on to drive for Jim Hall and AJ Foyt. And, you know, there was this dip in his career where you being able to come in and say, hey, kid, uh, come join the master, Bob Wallach in sports cars, come back to IMSA, and uh, maybe some good things will happen. What stands out? Because you were a pivotal, maybe a, a quietly pivotal person when we look back at his career. What does that mean to you? And what does it mean to know that you actually didn't just have a driver, but someone who became a uh, lifelong friend afterwards?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's easy to sort of look back and and say that you had something to do with dramatic changes in one's career. They make them themselves. John made his own. Remember this. Let's not forget that that Daytona 24-hour was, we all see it now at Daytona. It's a 24-hour sprint race. We see it. And they run nose-to-tail nonstop. This year, a little bit of an exception because the competition kind of had a problem. But generally speaking, we've seen it. The very first time that ever happened, was the 1989 race where we battled nose to tail with that Jaguar crowd for the entire 24 hours. And we didn't screw around and say, okay, uh, take two tires here. I mean, we did everything. We did short fuel stops. We, And guess who was in the mix? John Andretti. So I think that if anything happened as a result of being on our team, and the good fortune that we had to have him was I think people to look, took a look and said, that guy can get the job done. He's in there with Derek Bell, long-time winner, Bob Wallach, big winner. Bob Wallach and, and the crowd bring this thing home. What if John had not performed at that level when Bob and Derek weren't in the car? And we these are the two race.
0: titans of sports car racing. Yes, He's we would with not Phil have Daytona. won the
1: race. I think the rest of the world saw – That he could remember. This is John's first race. This isn't his third race or his eighth test. So, when he hops in the car and keeps that baby in the hunt, when he's in it at the at the at that point, the most competitive 24 hour ever. I think people noticed, and believe me, even today, you know for sure that there's such crossover between all the different. disciplines. That wasn't the case at the time. But there were a few people like Jim Hall and people that had been Daytona 24-hour people that I'm sure began to notice. And Mario and Michael were there. Don't forget that. Uh, So I think that probably if I could say that maybe we had any influence I would say that we ended up winning that race when it was the hardest sports car race that had ever been run. And John was in the hunt, in the middle of it, the entire time. And I think that was noticed. I sure noticed. Hmm. You know, you know, it would have been very easy for me uh, during the season to strategically limit John's exposure to our racing car during various races. And we never did it. John, and Bob decided to do it one time. And basically, it was a foolish move, but I, I know Bob and I know why. And he really, truly believed in his heart that he could make the difference. And it didn't work out that way. But, you know, that was a huge mistake. One of the few that Bob made, ever. And um, so I loved them both. And, um, and But John, you know, never had to look back and say, gee, I wish I'd done better. And we never looked and said, gee, I wish John had done better. He did great.
0: Thank you for listening to Remembering John Andretti on and the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and Cooper Tires. If this is your first time listening, more than 900 episodes are available at podcast.com. We also have a subscribe page where Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other listening options are readily available.